Why do we human beings, who are obviously so sexual, have such a difficult time talking about managing this intimate part of our lives? We talk about managing our money, we manage our careers, our diets, and even our stock portfolios. Yet, when it comes right down to it, we really don't know how to talk about managing our sexuality, and certainly don't know how to talk about doing it intelligently. Hey Jackie. Hey. So what do you want to talk about today? So I just read this book that is being made into a miniseries, well it's made for Hulu, called The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And uh, it's terrifying. Yes. It's terrifying. And so I would like to talk to you about that book. I feel guilty because I think I'm the one who suggested that book. You did. You did. All right. So it is terrifying. Yeah. And um, so for people in the audience who are wondering why on a show about sexuality we're going to talk about this book, The Handmaid's Tale, um, why are we talking about this book? Yeah, well, you brought it up. I know, I know. But you told me to read it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And, you know, at at the risk of kind of maybe getting the cart ahead of the horse, for me... Um, I, I, I've always liked science fiction. I've always liked uh, reading about some kind of future alternative reality uh, that I hope is alternative and not what we're headed toward. Um, just to let the imagination kind of free will. But this book for me was was really less science fiction-like and more in the horror genre. And, and the reason was because of the sexual component. Well, and that's one of the things is, you know, I, I watch zombie, you know, apocalyptic movies and shows with my kids all the time. And, and those aren't scary. Mm-mm. Yeah, I feel this, the same way. This one, I feel like is scary because it could happen. Well, and she was a, you know, brilliant. Margaret Atwood was brilliant in that she borrowed, uh, you know, in, in her recent New York Times article, she, she laid these rules on herself that she wasn't going to use anything in our book that hadn't happened already in human history and there would be no uh, technology that didn't already exist and so it's it's very believable on that level um and then and then the the nightmare begins right so for people who aren't familiar with the story um i guess a broad overview of it is kind of what would happen if the religious right Took over. Took over the United States of America. This is here. And our country became balkanized into smaller groups. But it was a theocracy. Right. Kind of a la Iran right now. But and, and the Ayatollahs only Christian. Un, under a Christian uh, theocracy. And what would that be like? And what that would be like, uh, at least what I got out of this, <laughs> um, that the goal is to control women. Is is kind of what I took out of it is. Well, that's so like you, Jackie. <laughs> it's always about you and the women. It, it is. Um, but you know, for me, again, that although that was a central theme because the story is told from the first person of the uh, the main character is a woman, and it's it's certainly about her and about what and the horror of what women went through. But but it's a little bit like. You know, this conversation is, is starting off a little bit like my conversations with my wife about uh, the horror of harem culture in Turkey uh, during the Ottoman Empire. And it really, it was pretty horrible for the women who were in the harem. But the harem, I reminded her, was also guarded by slaves who, were had, men. who were men who'd been castrated 
And that wasn't such a picnic either because they weren't getting a lot of volunteers for that. Right. So I guess what, so what happens in the, in the book is that everyone is assigned a role, right? And there are male roles and there are female roles and never the twain shall meet, right? So the women, the women are a wife, a baby maker, a cook, a housekeeper, a prostitute. Right. It's, um. Well, it's, it's just as you as you go through the list, it's just pretty grim and horrifying. And, you know, for me as a male, uh, just the book, again, brings up shadows of, well, I suppose anybody's failed marriage. I was thinking of my own. But, you know, one of the things about any failed marriage is that looking back on it, one can see there were vast expanses of loneliness. And how can that be any different in a future like the one Margaret Atwood talks about where men and women aren't equals anymore and to have real companionship you have to build a a man would have to build some sort of Frankenstein version of a woman where he's got the official wife at home along with the official baby maker along with the prostitute that he parties with and hopefully if you put them all together then he can actually have some semblance of one normal relationship that he would have with an equal. So is that why it's so interesting you say that? Because I, I, you're helping me see this in a different way. So do you think <laughs> that's what happens when we know, know when we talk? When right? we talk, um, do you think that that's why the rulers of this um, society did that? Because by keeping the women's roles separate, then he doesn't. And obviously, there's only one one um, type of man who is allowed this. The others, at your point, are also servants right only the rich and powerful only the rich and powerful but so that the woman even his wife is not his equal right right because she cannot she doesn't want this either i mean it's not like she wanted to have the baby maker brought into her home and she didn't want to preside over his his her husband's copulating with this woman and she didn't want you know all the rest of it uh she probably wanted the things every other human being wants you know domesticity and quiet and serenity and love and happiness and and that wasn't you know in in none of the renderings of this the book itself and in all of the movie and uh, now the series there's never a version where the wife is just perfectly content with all of this it's a nightmare for everyone except that one guy except for the one guy yeah so but that's interesting about by by keeping the women separate nobody gets to be an equal Right. To a man. Right. So women's sexuality, you know, it's it's sort of the ultimate pushing of the paradigm of the Madonna whore where uh, there are women who are just used for sex and there are women who are just uh, the wife. And then there's this in-between uh, kind of condition for the for the husbands. The as the story is related the the environment has gotten so toxic and things are so bad um, that the leadership, uh, the cadre of leadership is growing rather thin because of a failure to reproduce. And so they bring in the handmaids to um, have baby makers to, uh, that's your term and I hate using it. I can't, <laughs> can't believe I'm still using that. But they bring in a handmaiden, uh, sort of like an Old Testament story, um, to bear babies that will be the offspring of this couple. You know, this married couple, it's it's like uh, surrogate uh, babies at the point of a gun. It's kind of what it is. Well, kind of. Um, 
and now you've got my brain going a lot of different directions. One of the things that I think is interesting in this, that if the handmaiden can't reproduce within a certain amount of time, she's banished to the Neverland because it must be her fault. Right. And it's pretty clear that it's the men's fault. I mean, <laughs> if we're going to lay blame. Well, absolutely, because the, even in the book, they do have the technology to know whether or not sperm is vital or not. Right. And there's, there is a fair amount of drama over the ability of, over whether or not the main character is going to get pregnant or not. But the, uh, the blaming of the woman for the lack of fertility, again, right out of the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament was full of stories like this where the woman who couldn't bear children was, uh, had to carry shame throughout her life. And many of the stories of redemption are where God brings a miracle and she's able to conceive a child in her older years. So you have this story of Abraham and Sarah, you know, having, and Sarah's quite old and she's having children. Uh, she has a child in her old, advanced old age and it's, and it's a miracle, but her shame is, is taken away because of that. So the other thing that I think is interesting um, is, you know, for a book that's really a lot about sexuality, um, there's not a lot of sex in it. <laughs> no, no. It, sexuality is so big. We don't need to talk about intercourse. Most people have that part figured out. You know, there's an in and out, in and out, in a well-lubricated canal. So we've kind of got that part figured out. But the sexuality part of it, it's huge in this book. But the sex part, I think, is really interesting because it's very intentionally not enjoyable. Like Right. Well, there's... There, 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 there's a point in the book where she does have an enjoyable experience, but um, I don't want to give away. I know we'll have to do a spoiler alert at the beginning yeah, of this. We don't want to do that, but um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But because the the book is not a dismal, horrible ending kind of book that's going to make you just feel bad when you finish uh, on the last page, but the future that they that the that the writer portrays is very dismal and it's horrifying. And what I find what I find intriguing about it is how how unusual Margaret Atwood's work is in that she uses the absence of love from sexuality to make the future look so horrifying for us. That's such an interesting yes, separating sex from love which again was very um, intentional by the rulers in this land, separating, which they didn't. Was it Brave New World? Yes, in Brave New World. In Brave New well. World. In Brave New World, though, it's all mechanistic, right? And and so it's um, sperm uh, in petri dishes with test, eggs. Test tube babies. Yes, it's all it's all mechanical, and this is much more personal. It's so intimate and so personal and so horrifying because of that and i think i think that for me is the key is that as bad as politics can get uh, let's say in in nazi germany as horrifying as it is to think about you know the the uh, millions of people who died and including in the concentration camps the jews the gypsies the homosexuals the margaret atwood's book is particularly horrifying to me in that she envisions this future where our sexuality is in a sense um, used against us 
and our sexuality is we're victimized by our sexuality to such an extreme level and we are preyed upon because of our sexuality constantly and it's just we're and and it, because it's such a personal part of who we are you know to be killed in a in a political pogrom is one thing but but to be persecuted so sexually is is utterly horrifying to me because it's such an intimate persecution right and i think if i'm remembering correctly um like gay people anybody who doesn't fit they're they're banished Right. Well, or, 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 worse, or, or worse, or worse, because uh, homosexuality and even masturbation uh, are, are punished terribly. So it's it's pretty horrifying because it's all geared up around the maximum production of more human offspring. And anything that would get in the way of that is is evil. And anything that would bring you sexual pleasure is evil. Really any kind of pleasure. Right. Well, yeah. Although, I suppose <laughs> it is it is a pleasureless, joyless existence that they live. I think if um, there there if if there were points in the book where individuals take pleasure in in the horror that is before them, and that is acceptable. Right. So if you and and I can't think of anything more perverse and believe me I've worked with a lot of interesting <laughs> perversions and and I promise not to talk about anybody I know personally <laughs> but I I I uh I just can't think of anything more systematically perverse than than the picture Margaret Atwood uh paints in her book and again, though, the, the, the part of it that's so bad, it's not monsters jumping out at you. It's not uh, people with knives hiding behind the door, uh, scaring the bejesus out of you. It's, it's the banal normalcy of these people's everyday life, what they have to put up with and what they're made to endure. And all covered with, um, and this is for your own good because this is done in the name of the Lord. Right. Which makes it even more horrifying because now we have sexual abuse protected by spiritual abuse. Right. So what's interesting, though, and you kind of alluded to this before, is everybody's controlled. Like every aspect of their lives are controlled, even the guy with the power. Like they, they're even watching him, right? I right. mean, there's certain things he's allowed to do. Um, but the main characters do find their little bits of individuality through sex right and, and and through those private private stolen moments that they have here and there so but it's it's the sex that helps them to realize and a little bit of caring you know being able to care for another person that allows them to maintain you know so they're not killing themselves right it's it's that 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 helps them maintain their humanity so that they're able to go on right and in fact i think uh one of the characters um, do you remember the name of the character who becomes uh, a courtesan or Mora? Mora becomes uh, basically what we would call a, a, a prostitute or hostess in a in a brothel type environment, and she's she's using her sexuality to achieve a level of independence that she would otherwise not be able to have, even though those sexual acts that she's perpetrating or that she's that she's performing are not compatible with her own orientation. So, you know, it's 
on the one hand, it's a little bit horrifying, but on the other hand, she feels free in the sense that she's at least her own person in some way. I think that Mora is one of the best characters in this book, and I'm, I'm really glad she's in this book um, because she does give me, you know, she's, she's the bright spot in this. But it is interesting um, because she starts as just, you know, loudmouth, feminist lesbian who is not going to take anybody's shit, right? But she figures out how to... Um, she figures out how to go along and how to work the system and how to work the system while still maintaining that kind of attitude. Yeah. I, I love that about her too. And, and actually everybody does. If you think about, it. I mean, again, without, I don't want to give up any plot points, but there is this Procrustean bed of rigid, of, of, of rigid judgment laid on everyone. Procrustes, as you know, is that, uh, that uh, character out of Greek mythology who had an iron bed in his fortress and he would force travelers to spend the night in his iron bed. And if they were too short to fit his bed, he would take out his hammer and pound their flesh until they were, <sighs> until they would, they flatten out and, and fill the bed properly. And if they were too tall for the bed, uh, he would amputate their, their legs at the ankles or, or some other point. So everybody fit the bed and that's that Procrustean bed, that unyielding symbol of rigid conformity that that this society has in Atwood's book is is horrifying. But you know, a Procrustean bed by itself isn't a Procrustean bed. I mean, without without a Procrustes, you can't have a Procrustean bed because even an iron bed frame could be very nice. Sure. <laughs> in the right home. As long as it had a nice mattress and some nice linens on it, it could be very attractive. But you have to have human beings who are willing to control the sexuality of other people for their own selfish ends. And we've seen no shortage of that in, in human history and in, in the world around us today. Whether we're talking about um, the moral police in Saudi Arabia or uh, the ones in Iran and... Uh, there are plenty of people in every country, including the United States, who are more than willing to, you know, take their part in making sure the world is a more righteous place. Well, conversion therapy. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, conversion therapy example. is still a thing. Yeah. It, it's amazing to me that, that, and again, we've talked about this before, that, that people can be so concerned about someone else's sexuality. Yeah, what two consenting adults are doing in the privacy of a bedroom. That has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Right, but they want to get in there. <laughs> right, that they want to get in there. And it's just, so, and I, and I guess that is the part that was so terrifying for me on this is, you know, like you said, that, that Margaret Atwood wrote this, all these things have happened. All of them have All happened. of them have happened, um, which means they could happen again. Absolutely. Right, I probably don't have to worry about zombies taking over. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's probably not going to be a thing. And obviously, um, and I think that one of the, the takeaways from this book, and even the way it starts with, It'll happen so gradually that none of us were paying attention. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And and it, sometimes it does feel like that is happening around us uh, at any given time. But history is very fluid. And just when you think things couldn't get any better, they can go backwards and vice versa. So there's change is, is kind of the one constant that we have. And for me... You know, this book is both a cautionary tale and, and also provides a tremendous amount of hope because everybody, including the villains, 
adapt to that Procrustean bed and they, they find a workaround. They find a way to make it somehow work for them. So you've got people uh, cheating or gaming the system every which way because humans are human. Well, and to quote um, Jurassic Park... Life finds a way. Yeah, life finds a way. Nature finds a way. Yeah. Always, no matter how much you try to control it. Well, it you know, it's it's one of those most foolish endeavors we've ever had, right? To try to control another human being as if we could control their words or their thoughts. But the most foolish, I think, is the attempt to control somebody else's sexuality. We can force certain things and we can have a moment here and there of control. But really trying to harness the most powerful force in our existence, the force that brings life to generation after generation of humanity, uh, it's really not something any of us are ever going to control. So, yeah, I, I hope everybody reads the book. I hope people go out and buy the book because the book, no matter how good the, the series is, and I haven't watched it yet, uh, but no matter how good it is, uh, the, the book is just a masterpiece and really worth reading. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm very excited to watch the um, to watch the miniseries when it comes out as well to see how they portray it. It's getting good reviews so far, okay. so we'll see. So thank you for recommending the book, and thank you for discussing it with me. Sure, you bet. Talk to you soon. Okay. This has been a production by Ing Intellectual in cooperation with Estepona Group. Interview by Jackie Shelton. Music produced by Octophonics. Editing by Lucas Pichelli. To listen to more episodes, visit stephening.com.